the uh, message that I began in chapter 13 with the same title and continuing a theme that will build your understanding of what the general picture is of the conflict that we will face, all of us will face in the coming years. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, but according to the signs, I can tell when it's summer, I can tell when it's fall, but we can also begin to understand the spiritual timing of God and his earth and his creation, particularly as we have it so explicitly written and given to us in his word. Perseverance and faith, that basically says it all in terms of a Christian. My friend, Dr. Nagao talked about his ancestors being hidden Christians. I don't think I have that in my background, but what an honor, what an honor to be part of the people of God who have faced tough times and have come through. I want to be that kind of a Christian. And I trust that this morning, that will be our heart resolve as we go through this chapter. Let's read the blessing that we read every Sunday now as we're going through this, this book of Revelation. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. When? When? Near. And that means get ready, be ready, be in tune. Resolve those things in your life that have separated you from walking with the Lord. This morning we have the same title, basically, but our first point is the first fruits belong to God and to the Lamb of God. The contrast of choices. There are people that are making choices. We're making choices. And there is a contrast here that we want to look at very carefully. And then the wrath of God. But he's supposed to be so loving. Why would he be described as wrathful? There's reasons for it. And we want to discover that and understand that and know that because of his righteousness, we are holy. But because of his righteousness, there's also judgment. And we need to stand in that and allow God's light to shine into our lives. And then there are some concluding comparisons that are made in this chapter, chapter 14. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We trust it. It says a sword. It says a rule. It says for us a refuge, a solace, a comfort. It also inspires us, emboldens us, strengthens us, brings to us that which we need to know for the moment. And through the Holy Spirit, is spoken to our hearts. We thank you for this word. We thank you for including this in your holy scriptures, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we covered chapter 13, which dealt with Satan's plan to create a false or a counterfeit trinity. Satan is not equal to creator God. In fact, Satan was created by God. He was, according to some descriptions in the Old Testament, he was the greatest of God's creation. And yet he fell and became the arch enemy of the righteous one, of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Satan is not equal, and he's not even close to being equal to God, although he thinks he is. Some of you remember when Jesus came as a man and first began his ministry. Who did he encounter? The tempter, Satan, in the wilderness. Jesus had just heard, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. What tempted Satan to come to that place? We don't know, other than his self-pride. Could that have happened to Jesus Christ? I don't know. It's almost an impossible question to answer. But the fact that there was a tempter and a temptation for him, it was real for Jesus. It wasn't like I've said many times before, it wasn't like Jesus, the Son of God, had his God card, like a driver's license, his God card in his wallet, and he pulled it out, I'm the Son of God. Jesus did not do that. He didn't make that boast. He called himself the Son of Man. He identified with us as human beings. That was his mission. That was his purpose, so that we as human beings could have a way out of this trap that we are in because of Satan, who wanted to foil God's plan. We as human beings were tricked, if you want to put it this way, tricked out of being God's best kids, I guess I could say. Adam and Eve gave it away. And we've paid the price ever since, every one of us. And we keep perpetrating that through our own lives and through those that are born of us because of our sin. And so God, in his wisdom, his purpose, came to show he was a redeemer God. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us as a human being who was the God-man, but he relied solely upon his faith in the Father in order to accomplish righteousness. We are the beneficiaries as Christians. Little Christs is another way of saying Christian. And we've been called to that, and we answered the call to come and confess our sins that we might become righteous, and that we would stop trying to be good. I'll be good, I'll be good, I'll be good. How many have said that to your parents when you were young? Every one of us have said that, I'm sure. And did we? No, we weren't good. 
Mom goes out of the kitchen and, ooh, that cookie looks good. <laughs> oh, I didn't touch it. You know, that is in our nature. And I see many of you smiling. I don't think it's because you think, oh, I've never done that. That was my older sister that did that. <laughs> no, we are fallen beings. And it would be funny, but it's not really funny that we are fallen creatures and we live among fallen creatures. And the most fallen is there to be a tempter. He and his servants, his, his other fallen angels. By the way, Satan is not God. He cannot be omnipresent. I don't think Satan has ever been in this church. But his angels have been. I know it. We've sensed it. We've experienced it. Just in the four short years that we've been here, some of the stories that you've shared of your own lives are witness to that. And praise the Lord, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit and through his word, is stronger than our arch enemy. And we are understanding that there is nothing Nothing that can put us down as the children of God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, the man who died for us in our place. If we look at who Satan is, he's a liar, he's a thief. But in Revelation 12 and 13, it calls him a dragon who was cast out of heaven to earth. This earth was assigned to Satan, by God. And God put it in his hands. But there's been a universal battle going on, battle of the universe. There's no story or saga or movie that can even come close to describe and portray what the battle is like for this tiny little speck in space, our earth. But God has eternal purposes. Why would we be one of the smallest planets in the known universe? Because God's love is so penetrating and he sent his son to this small speck in space to portray his magnificent glory and as we make it into God's kingdom, after we leave this place, we will become what Satan wanted to be. We become because of our allegiance to Jesus Christ. You think this is fun being at MCC? It's funner to be a Christian anticipating what it's like after we leave this life. Can you let your mind go and just think about that? What is God's plan for us? It'll be so exciting. Do you know what I experienced today, Ron? Or do you know what I did? You know, the stories are just going to go back and forth and we are going to enjoy being together. And not just us, but with all the famous, famous believers ahead of us. Yeah, I don't know whether I'll have a chance to, but I'd love to talk with King David. 
Well, and even Solomon. Well, how about Lazarus, who was raised from the dead by Jesus? Well, maybe you'd want to have tea with Mary and Martha. Don't be too busy in the kitchen, by the way. <laughs> but this is what happened to us. So that this dragon comes and creates an unholy trinity representing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit with a dragon and two beasts. That's what chapter 13 is about. Katie said I didn't say it clear enough. Did you hear me? Satan created a trinity. Why? And I said this last week, I'm sure. Satan is not an original thinker. He didn't come up with this idea. He copied it from God. And it's a very, very poor copy because it only exalts him and does not really give his servants, his slaves, those who he is enslaved in sin, what they really want. Just a few weeks ago, I was on the internet and there was an article that was talking about how many wealthy, famous people in this last decade who have wasted their life away in drugs, in murder, in all kinds of things. They were at the top of their game, so to speak. They were millionaires, they were famous, and they lost it. Why? They had it all because of their pride, because of their human nature. We all have that, don't we? You recognize that in your life. And that's why we came to Jesus. That's why we came to him, because we knew we didn't have it here and we needed a savior. Okay, let's go. Then I looked and behold, the lamb was standing on Mount Zion. The lamb, Jesus Christ, the one who laid down his life for us, standing on Mount Zion, a place of victory, a place of God's purpose, his plan for the salvation of mankind. And with him were 144,000 people having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. Wow, 144,000. Well, that's not really many. Not when you consider the billions and billions of people that have passed on this earth and that are living on this ball right now. That's not many, but they were enough and they were God's chosen people, representatives of Israel, redeemed Israel, those 144,000. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder and the voice which I heard was like the sound of violinists playing their violins. <laughs> and they sang, 144,000 sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. This song was so complicated that no one could learn it. 
wow, we'll have to find out what that song was. 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Purchase, purchased, paid for. They belong to the Lord of the universe, paid for through the blood of Jesus. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the lamb. And I want to just explain here when it says, these are the ones who have not been defiled with women. Apparently, according to my good friend, Dave Hagelberg, who I've been picking his brain through his commentary on Revelation, he says that English is one of the languages that cannot nail this sentence down perfectly. It doesn't mean that they weren't married. It means that they were not immoral. They were pure. They walked in the ways of the Lord because they knew the Lamb, the Savior. By the way, this 144,000 are representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they represent the thousands who are coming to Christ today from the uh, land of Israel. No lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Can you say that? I can't say that. In fact, last week, I overstepped myself in describing what blasphemy was. And I used an illustration from a representative of the United States government who has been blaspheming. And I, in that, used a very strong curse. And the Lord has convicted me of that. And I ask your forgiveness that we not overspeak. And that's what blasphemy means. It means that we're talking against someone holy and perfect as God. Blasphemy is against God's law. Naming something holy as something common to use as a curse or as a statement of strength. And I saw another angel flying in mid heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Things are happening here that John has seen, but one of the wonderful things that we see in this, which is part of the first fruits to God and to the Lamb, is that his creatures, his creation, have an eternal gospel to preach. We are part of that. We have an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. You know, this singing and the worship that is going on, that will be 24-7, 365, for eternity of praise, worship, and Beth on the piano. I mean, we're going to have the first several centuries of just praise when we all get there. Oh man, it's gonna be great. Praise and worship is the lifestyle of heaven. Then there's a contrast of choices. 
And that's what is playing out in these two chapters of 13 and 14, the contrast. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. You know that Babylon has been attempted to be rebuilt. Saddam Hussein, that was his objective, to rebuild Babylon. And he was cut off. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It was a place of immorality. It was a place that was significant to the enemy of our souls. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Wow. These are heavy words. These are heavy images. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. That is what hell is like. Day and night, day and night, day and night. No rest. Can you imagine not having rest? That's the condition of those who have followed the beast, taken his mark, taken his name. And it's going to happen, folks. It's going to happen in our economies worldwide. But here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And that's what this is about. These two chapters, the perseverance of the believers. That's what we're being called to. This isn't to scare us into being good. This is for us to understand why did God bring me into his kingdom? Jesus died for me, forgave my sin, released me from guilt and condemnation. Where I was in a hole and I, I didn't have it together. It's because of his persistent love. But it's also by the fact that he put his Holy Spirit within my heart to walk in his way and persevere. Regardless of what the challenge is in your life, whether it's, I am so discouraged, I am so overwhelmed by what I have to bear. And you know what it is. You know what is pulling you down these days, whether it's temptation, whether it's overwork, whether it's lack of real friendship, whether it's that you're lonely and you want to be with friends and family, but you continue on believing in Jesus because he's with you. He's walking with you. He's the good shepherd. He's the one who gave his life for you. And so you want to walk in his ways and please him. I'm tired of pleasing others. Trying to act the act and not really being able to walk in openness. But with Jesus, I can walk 
in openness because he knows it all. And he still loves me and receives me. And even though I come to him over and over again, forgive me, forgive me. You're forgiven. You walk in the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Those who choose to follow the beast, however, have no rest day and night. How do we know who they are? They're the ones that will receive the mark. And they'll say to you, just go ahead, just have them put the mark or the chip or whatever it's going to be. Just do it. No. The word says, don't do it. We talked about social security numbers and all of that kind of stuff. That is kids play compared to what this is going to be. This will be what we could possibly say, this is for real. And it's gonna be tough for Christians. There's no place to hide. That's where we're coming in our world today, is that there will be no place to hide. Will you stand for Jesus Christ? Will you be able to stand and say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I can't go that way. There's a beautiful article that has come out of a pastor in China who has written a testimony. It's a declaration of what he is saying. And he's in prison, I guess, right now. The last thing I've heard about him is still in prison. That is a model for us. And he's following Jesus Christ. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Wow. I'm ready for a long vacation. Then comes the last of this chapter, the wrath of God. And then I looked and behold, a white cloud and sitting on the cloud was one like the son of man having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. This is a picture of the son of man of Jesus Christ, who came and said, follow me. And he's given a sharp sickle. You know what a sickle is? It's a large knife for harvesting wheat. But what is this? It says that the son of man is reaping the earth. What's he reaping? The harvest. What is the harvest? Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was reaped. What do you think that means? Some people think that that's the first judgment of Jesus Christ or of an angel. I just gave it away. It really is Jesus, the son of God, who's given a sharp sickle. And what's he reaping? Us. 
us he's bringing us into the kingdom that I want to be reaped Jesus reap me bring me into that place with you as a first fruit and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven and he also had a sharp sickle now here's the contrast then another angel who has power over fire came out of the from the altar and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe and what's this the picture of so the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. It's a river of blood. Oh, oh my. Let's just look at this now over these chapters. Those with the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ. Those with the beast, who is the Antichrist. In verses 6 to 11. Those with Jesus' name on their forehead. In verse 1. And those with the beast's mark on their foreheads. In verse 12. The one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. He's the creator the supplier, the refresher, in verse 7. The one who made all the nations drunk with sin, the destroyer, the deceiver, the liar. The Lord God always reaches out in mercy, in verse 6, before he pours out his wrath. He always gives people a chance. Every person has an opportunity to walk toward forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I believe that. God is faithful. There's worship to the Lord, but there's also the contrast. Worship of the beast and his image. Eternal death. No rest day and night for the wicked. I can't imagine. Eternal life. Rest from their labors for those who are the followers of the Lamb forever. Grape clusters are gathered from earth's vine, thrown into the winepress of the wrath of God outside the city. Blood came out from the winepress high on the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. It was a river of death. But who took that place for us? Jesus received the wrath of God in our place. Where, why, how? Isaiah 53, 6 and 7 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, 
so he did not open his mouth. Can you imagine Jesus going to the cross and he says, no, no, I'm not going to hang on that cross. Ron Sisko needs to hang there. No. Jesus said, Naomi, he said that for every one of us in this room. That is the Lamb, the true Lamb of God. Psalm 22 says, when Jesus was on the cross, my God, my God, why do you forsake me? Jesus was forsaken for you, for every one of us. What a privilege, what an honor, but oh, wow, I love Jesus for what he has done. And John 19, 17, it was outside the city. Jesus was crucified outside the holy city. The last night that he was with his disciples, he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then finally in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, we thank you that for everyone that is in this room, you personally gave your life up for us so that we might have rest forever from our sin, from our waywardness, from the tyranny of an enemy. Thank you for redeeming us, buying us back. Thank you for your blood that cleanses us, forgiving all of our sins, every one of our sins. Jesus, truly, you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we are grateful. Thank you that we can walk out of this room and walk with you with confidence because we know that you have marked us. You have identified us because we trust in you and not in ourselves or anything else. We dedicate ourselves to follow you the rest of our lives. Thank you for this holy time together as brothers and sisters and really understanding what it means to be a follower of Christ. We will die for you. We will lay down our lives for your name, for what you have done as our Redeemer, as our Lord, as our King. Amen.